Welcome to the Immigration Hour. It's great to be with you today. Uh, we're trying a brand new recording process, and I think this actually may work out a little bit better. Um, this show is Charles Cook. It's great to be with you, Cook Baxter Immigration. Um, there has been uh, another bombshell dropping uh, in, uh, in Congress. Uh, apparently, uh, Mike Lee is back at it. Um, he is uh, moving forward with Senate Bill 386, but Mike, it appears to have had a little problem. So let's talk about what we know and uh, what we're guessing and uh, also what uh, appears to be happening. So uh, Senate Bill uh, 386 has undergone a uh, major revision uh, by Mike Lee. And uh, this major revision, which we'll get into the details in a second, why would Mike Lee, after working for months with uh, Senator Durbin and enforcing Senator Durbin to undergo horrific harassment, horrific harassment uh, at the hands of uh, some supporters of 386, being called a racist and a terrible human being, and he doesn't believe in fairness. There is no greater friend of immigrants than Dick Durbin in, in, in the Senate. Let's, let's be clear about that. And to use Mike Lee as your guide for what immigration should be like is, uh, let's just call that sadly mistaken, a man who would just as soon vote to eliminate all legal immigration, uh, an embarrassment to his father and his family. Um, but let's take a, a look at what he wants to do. Now, why would he want to change this process today? Why would he want to modify it? Why would he want to, I mean, really, why would he do this? Why would he just leave Dick Durbin out there hanging? Well, apparently, uh, he was trying to do this in secret, and somebody leaked this outside uh, of his inner circle, uh, probably a patriot, and uh, let's say Mr. Durbin was not a happy camper uh, when he found out about this. Here's what appears to have happened. Uh, Lee's office was contacted by Cotton uh, and Cotton's office. Now, let's know who is Senator Cotton. Now, so let's be clear who Senator Cotton is. Uh, since Jeff Sessions' departure from the U.S. Senate, uh, Senator Tom Cotton is the voice of the anti-immigration movement, uh, strongly supported by the folks from the Center for Immigration Studies and FAIR and Numbers USA, all the Tanton-related uh, groups uh, who want to eliminate immigration to America. Yes, eliminate, not limit. They want to eliminate. Um, and uh, so that's who Tom Cotton is. Now, Cotton himself has proposed his own immigration bill uh, with a co-sponsor being my beloved senator, Senator David Perdue, who will hopefully only be senator for a few more months. Um, and uh, Mr. Perdue and Senator Cotton proposed a bill, uh, which then Donald Trump trumpeted. Uh, and this, this, what this bill effectively does is cut legal immigration overall in half. Um, and uh, it, it uh, literally eliminates virtually all types of family-based immigration and then creates a bizarre point system uh, that you can only be successful in navigating if you're under 30 years old with a PhD. Uh, certainly if you graduated from some crummy university somewhere with a bachelor's degree, in IT, uh, you're not going to qualify for immigration under this bill. Well, Cotton, again, uh, the, the anti-immigration movement, they were very upset by Lee's bill. 
Um, and so they needed to get a word to Lee that they were not going to be happy if 386 passed. And so um, Cotton called Lee and said, I'm going to oppose your unanimous consent motion when you come back. You know, so that thing that I wasn't opposing before until you agreed with Durbin to modify aspects of this bill to make it less horrible, not great, but less horrible, uh, I'm going to oppose that unless you make some substantial changes to the bill. So let's take a look at this, um, uh, look at the different things that, uh, that Lee wants to change in Senate Bill 386, which is effectively, thank you, that was uh, me being summoned, apparently. Um, um, so don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. Um, let's take a look at these four major changes to the bill. Um, the first you will find uh, on page two. Now, if you would like a copy of uh, this bill, you can uh, probably click on the website here. I'm going to try to put it up. You can also uh, reach out to me on Twitter. I also have it on Twitter already, uh, so you can search my uh, at CKUCK, um, and you'll see that I've linked up there in a Dropbox. So you can see the amended bill uh, as was released, whether intentionally or uh, accidentally by Lee. Generally, these things are released as trial balloons to see uh, who opposes them and how hard people fight. Uh, That's generally how things work up on Capitol Hill, if you don't already know. So the first change comes right away under the trend under Section 2. Uh, oh, they ch- did change Section 1. They changed the title of the bill to Fairness for High Schools and Remember Act of 2020. Uh, but Section 2, which is the numerical limitation on any single foreign state. Uh, the numerical limitation, that, all that stuff remained the same. We're basically giving the farm away. But the transitional rules are what substantially change. So previously... Uh, there was a three-year transition period. Uh, and now there is a nine-year transition period. Well, you're going, oh, that's awesome. There's a nine-year transition period? That's just amazing. That's wonderful. No, it's not. And we're going to explain how we end up with fewer rest-of-the-world visas over nine years than we had over three years. Um, and so that's, that's the first substantive change. Uh, this is a bad change, uh, and we'll get into the details in a second. Then a little further on in Section 2, further in the, uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, transition rules, they go through how they're changing the numbers. So under the current rules, under the current proposal that was from Durbin and Lee, the transition period was fiscal year uh, one, um, that folks got 15% of the visas from the rest of the world. Uh, fiscal year two, they got 10. Fiscal year three, they got 10%. Uh, and now that's 30, 25, and 20. Oh, my goodness, that's so much more. And that's not the case. We'll explain why. And then, then these new provisions, four through six, uh, add uh, additional uh, FY4, five, uh, uh, five and six, and seven and nine. They add 15, 10, and, uh, and 5% to this transition rules. Um, so these, uh, uh, these actually cost us visas in the long run. And again, we'll get into that in a, de- in a, in a statement. Um, the also change they made here is that the um, notwithstanding previous provision, each of the seven fiscal years after the native enactment, uh, so th- this bill is not 
now looking at the next fiscal year, it's looking at the day it is enacted, day it is signed by the president, thus being effective this fiscal year, which is going to throw havoc into a system, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that just lost buckets and buckets and buckets of, uh, of people that are now not eligible to adjust their status for the next three to four years. So it's going to get really bad really, really fast. Um, the, um, the next uh, change, next substantive change uh, in, this, in this bill, uh, we will find under the, um, uh, under the H-1B employer application requirements, uh, which again makes the effective date of the bill uh, for the H-1B employer requirements, um, uh, the following. Remember, keep this with us. If an employer employs 50 or more people in the United States, the sum of the number of such employees plus the number of such employees are not immigrants does not exceed 50% of the total. That was what we called the 50-50 clause. So the 50-50 clause basically prohibited companies who had more than 50 employees and more than 50% of their people from H-1Bs from basically using the H-1B program. Um, and uh, that was effective immediately, and now that doesn't take effect for three years. So the program can be effectively abused by basically companies that bring in foreign labor with no regard to U.S. citizens uh, um, and no real recruitment requirements for three more years. I am actually surprised that uh, Senator Grassley hasn't raised holy heck about that as well. Uh, and again, you'll find that uh, particular change in Section 3 of the, of the Act, of the proposed Act. Uh, the next major legislative change uh, is uh, probably, oh, I would say probably the worst. And this is uh, re- really, I think we'll see this, this is the do-no-harm provision, which is in Section 7 of the Act under what's called Adjustment of Status uh, for Employment based immigrants. Um, and now this, well, and, and what this is for, is first of all, is the early adjustment provisions, the early adjustment provisions, uh, which is um, changed as follows, uh, that you may file an adjustment status application under the, under the original Durbin-Lee bill. As soon as, the was, uh, not, as soon as you have I-140 approved, you could file um, um, your petition for adjustment of status under the bill um, now you have to wait two years from the date on which uh, uh, for the I-140 has been approved for two more years. Uh, so it's kind of confusing for folks, but basically the, what this does is it changes the effective date of the early five bridge from the date of enactment to one year from the date of enactment. It creates a new requirement that immigration must be approved for two years to qualify for early filing. So, for example, I've got a fellow right now on an L-1B from South Africa and his labor cert will be approved in a matter of days. Um, up until March 1, if his labor cert was approved, we could have concurrently filed an I-140 adjustment of status. He's in his fourth year of L-1B. He's got no other options other than to leave the country after five years. Uh, and he would have been fine. Uh, but now, uh, under the current law, he can't file his adjustment. He can just file his I-140. If this law passes, uh, one, um, he can't file an adjustment uh, for two years from the date that the I-140 is approved. So he will actually be out of L-1B time before he can file his adjustment, so he will have to leave the country. Go out for a year, come back in, 
and then on another L1B after a year if he's qualified at that point, uh, and then possibly file adjustment, although it's unclear if your departure uh, will in any way affect this. Um, and uh, it looks like CIS will charge an additional filing fee uh, to confirm uh, your bona fide offer or portability of job, uh, which is part of the early filing process, and it eliminates the language allowing CIS to grant EADs, employment cards, as a matter of discretion in compelling circumstances to early filers. Uh, I mean, so I mean, this is Cotton here uh, trying to uh, trying to 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 really. Um, uh, make sure that nobody gets additional work authorization. So just because you can file adjustment, okay, if you can't work under the adjustment, how does that help you in any way whatsoever? Uh, this, is, uh, this is clearly a, uh, uh, a major problem uh, where it eliminates Section B. So it says uh, under, under 5 for Section 7, so it's A, um, which is then changes, adds N, 5, Previously said, except as provided, an alien who is neither authorized to work nor eligible for work at any time an application is filed under this provision shall not be eligible for work except as, and it gave them addition. Now it says, oh, you're not available to do this. Have a nice day. Uh, and then finally, the worst provision is the simple elimination of the do no harm provision, which was included in the bill. The do no harm provision uh, in the bill, what that did and why that was so vitally important uh, is that it provided uh, that no one who's the beneficiary of an immigrant visa petition um, under the section approved before the bill's enactment shall receive a visa later than if the bill had never been enacted, thus providing protection for those already in line for EB1, EB2, EB3, EB4, and EB5. Um, this is, that is, I think that's the kicker that will cause virtually every uh, rational human being to say the bill cannot pass in its revised form. Uh, this is, um, uh, this is a, I mean, it's significant. This last change we talked about, the elimination of do, harm, do no harm provision, uh, this is bad. Um, so I'll so give you an example. In the EB-5 category, visa applicants from China will experience a significant decrease in wait times for a green card. Applicants for countries other than China will, significant, will get a significant uptick in wait times, um, potentially at least, at least another five years, as these applicants from China who filed the petitions first uh, would have gotten the green card. Um, this bill, while it extends their transition period from three years to, to nine years, uh, the numbers, let's look at the numbers of what this means uh, as part of this bill. Now, the no harm provision ensures that anyone, well, it would have ensured that anyone with an approved I-140 on the date of enactment would get first priority before the first in, first served policy kicks in. The transition rules were intended to add a buffer for those with applications in process but not approved or those that had yet to file. Look at the looking at the inventory of approved I-140s for non-backlog nationals, so non-India and China, in the last two fiscal years, and using the standard multiplier of 2.1, which is 1.1 dependents per petition, 
the no harm provision would apply to over about 150,000 people. Now, Michelle Carnero came up with these numbers, and these numbers are pretty similar to David Beer's numbers from Cato on the no harm affected pool of applicants. Lee's office has been arguing that the extended transition period from three to nine years compensates for the elimination of the no harm provision, but the extended transition period only sets aside an additional 68,000 immigrant visas for non-backlog nationals for a total of 96,000 over nine years. In Durbin's original agreement, the transition reserved 28,000 for the rest of the world in three years, in addition to 150,000, the number pending, for no harm. In effect, that's a net loss of 80,000 visas reserved for non-backlog applicants. That's 150,000 for no harm plus 28,000 in transition. That's 178,000 reserved in the, initial, in the original agreement. Looking at it further, since it spreads these visas over nine years, that means at the end of nine years, only 96,000 of those with approved I-140 applications today will have received green cards and 50,000 individuals approved today that would have been under the no harm provision will still be waiting. So this is way worse numerically than the bill. Well, why does Tom Cotton want that? Tom Cotton wants less immigrants. He wants no immigrants. That's who Tom Cotton is. And because he told Lee he would block the UC, then Lee caved. Now, this is interesting because Cotton is a vast minority, in his, even within his party. So if Lee had the gumption to go through the regular process, which, we, which I've been saying along, just have a hearing on the bill, have a hearing on the amended bill with Durbin, Durbin's going to vote for it. Yes, he'll try to get other stuff in, he'll lose, but we'll end up with the Durbin bill. These provisions will, they will not be included in a hearing-based bill because nobody agrees with Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton is a vast outlier, which is why the Cotton-Purdue bill has no co-sponsors. None. After almost two years, no co-sponsors. So Lee is caving here. Why? Maybe Lee is secretly also anti-immigrant. Well, his other actions actually belie that. But um, So he, Lee, what Lee is trying to do here is get his cake from these IT companies that are funding his campaign uh, and probably his retirement and eat it too by still, still going forward with an anti-immigration bent to this process. Now think about this. Um, since it spreads these over nine years, those with approved applications today, 50,000 people are going to still be waiting under this bill that would not be waiting under the original language of the Durbin-Lee Amendment. Additionally, you know, more. Let's look at this. No new applicants will have benefited from the transition as was originally contemplated. None. These new applicants may not be able to maintain status for the two years to even be protected by the early adjustment, which I just talked about. I have a client in that exact situation today. Um, and so... This is, so that basically means that even then, eligibility to file only one year after enactment. So really what you're looking at here is a whole group of people who are not going to get green cards um, ever, ever. Significantly, and this is probably even more important, EB1s, EB4s, and 5s are not included in a transition. So they will be most harmed by the elimination of the no harm provision. 
Uh, now think about this. Let's look at the data um, on this. The calculation of the no harm population. Again, Michelle Canero does a remarkable job on pulling this data together. It's not secret data. It's out there. You, don't, you can't claim, oh, nobody knows. That's not true. A lot of people know this data, and it's easily available if you simply know where to look. So EB, uh, employment-based adjustment of status processing times are, right now, today, six to, six to 24 months in most places around the country. In fiscal year 2008, USCIS approved 60,198 immigrant visas, um, and in fiscal year 2019, approved another 63,028 immigrant visas for non-Indian and Chinese nationals. Okay. So over the last two years, that's 123,000 immigrant visas that were approved by, for non, that were thus, in, at least in the EB3 category, EB2 categories, they were current. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't adjust all those people. Okay. This represents, using the multiplier, 258,000 immigrants with an approved I-140. I-140 is EB1, EB2, and EB3. Um, at the end of fiscal year 2019, the USA has reported 148,000 pending EB I-45s, um, which makes sense because the adjustment of processing times are one to two years. If that number represents 80% of the employment-based immigrant visa eligible applicants, then another 37,000 are likely processing consular processing abroad, which makes sense. Based on these numbers, and assuming 14% of those I-45 applicants are from backlog countries, Michelle believes, and I agree, that 150,000 is a fair estimate of individuals that the no-harm provision would protect. Uh, David Beer made a similar conclusion last year. You can, by the way, find this. If you go to the USCIS.gov website, you go to the resources on their reports page, you can pull up this information. It's right there. You just got to work with it. The reports are not, they don't make them easy to use, but they are clearly uh, visible. They're clearly there for the taking. Um, this is, uh, these are the things that um, we have to now deal with. When we look at uh, these provisions uh, on the bill, uh, 3D6 now, with these revisions, becomes unpassable. It cannot pass. It is now substantially different from the House bill. And I can tell you that a lot of us will be working to make sure that if 3D6 does pass, if for some reason nobody objects to a unanimous consent vote, which may be on Thursday, that's the rumor mill, may be on Thursday, um, we will work with the House to make sure that the House is properly educated, that this bill does far more harm than good, um, and particularly how it affects the rest of the world visa applicants uh, as part of the process. And this doesn't mean I believe in unfairness. I don't believe in unfairness. Um, I simply believe that the Congress in 1967 did as good a job as they could in trying to ensure that the entire world had the ability to immigrate to the United States. And putting the per country limit in was designed to make sure that no one country or two countries or three countries were able to overwhelm the immigrant visa system. Uh, now, as I've said before on my program and in my podcast, if the pro three to six people were saying, you know what? 
every single category of family and employment-based immigration, we should get rid of per-country limits? Okay, let's do it. But they don't do that because they know if they did that, only Mexicans would get immigrant visas and Filipinos would get immigrant visas in family-based categories for the next 30 years. They know that would be the case and they wouldn't be able to immigrate their families. That's why, that's why they're not arguing for fairness across all categories, which simply makes them hypocrites. Just a hypocrite if you don't believe in fairness across categories. Uh, now, some people say, well, you don't believe in justice or you're a racist. Not true. Not true. Justice is each country getting a lotted share of visas to immigrate to the United States. I don't see them arguing, hey, the, lottery, the diversity lottery is unfair because you're, making, you're only giving six visas to people from Barbados. You're not giving anybody from Mexico or India or China a lot, and that's not diverse. It doesn't make any sense. Their argument doesn't make any sense. And they're saying, well, individuals, individuals are, are harmed by this because it should be by my own merit. I agree merit is a valid, valid basis upon which to judge and bring immigrants to America. That's why we have the EB-1 category and why we have an EB-2 national interest waiver. Um, and there's, that's why there should be exceptions to this rule. Uh, but comparing a equally qualified bachelor degreed person from Mexico to India and say, well, he got in the line first, therefore he gets a green card, regardless of how many other Indians are immigrating, just doesn't seem fair in the grand context of people looking to America as a place they could come to and us believing that a diverse society is vitally important to our national well-being and our national health. Um, so let, I, I would, uh, I'd encourage you uh, to go look at the Lee Bill. Go to my website at Cook and take a look at this. I also uh, wanted you um, uh, to see uh, there's some really good information out there as well uh, on this process um, the, uh, about how uh, S386 and 1044, how they impact different industries. And I'll give you a great example. This was actually written uh, by at uh, PTT Leopard Cats. Um, this is his Twitter handle, at PTT Leopard Cats. I don't know who PTT Leopard Cats is, uh, but their data, their data-based approach to uh, looking at this, I think is really, really important. Um, so they did an analysis of the PERM data published by the Department of Labor where they found that there were 21,808 foreign agricultural professionals applied for PERM between 2015 and 2019. 96% of them were not from India, and only 3.6% were of Indian nationals. Estimate that the U.S. would lose more than 43,500 agricultural professionals across the nation if this bill is enacted in 2020, because they would have to get behind a 10 to 17 year long line, and because the agricultural sector clearly depends on, I mean, it looks like about 10,000 a year visas for these folks, uh, the bill itself uh, is um, going to have a negative effect going forward on the agricultural industry. I thought that was fascinating. We're in the midst of the coronavirus epidemic, which, by the way, you cannot catch from drinking Corona beer. Um, the, uh, what about the impact, the consequences of 3D6 on the pharmaceutical industry? 
Well, again, uh, the uh, they uh, at PPT at PTT Leopard Cats um, took a look at the data, and they looked at the perms uh, from 2015 to 2019. I guess five years of data, uh, and they found that the uh, the following with multiple years of data. We can better evaluate the bill. The public perm data contains information about country of birth, employee education, job title. They explicitly search for individuals who earned a doctoral degree and whose employer is a pharmaceutical company in the U.S., such as Pfizer, Merck, GSK, Sanofi, Johnson & Johnson, Gilead, etc. The list of all the articles of these companies can be found at www.drugs.com slash pharmaceutical-companies.html. In addition, they excluded foreign talents in pharmacy and drug stores, took those out. Here's what they found. There was 472 people uh, for which uh, perms were filed in this industry. Um, 385 of them were non-Indian nationals, about 82%. So that shows that 473 doctoral-level foreign talents applied for perm, 82% not from India. If the bill is enacted, they expect that the foreign talent supply in the pharmaceutical industry would be hampered by losing uh, at least 800 foreign, non-Indian national talents, and frankly, all the Indian talent too, because they're going to be behind the eight ball, with a doctoral degree over the course of the next decade. So is that the person who finds the cure for cancer and not doing so in the United States? So these are, uh, there are, yes, at least 10 different documents that focus on uh, 10 different areas of, of, uh, of, of occupations in the United States, all in critical areas. Um, so these are the, let's call them the irreversible, perhaps the unintended consequences. And that's what you get here when you only focus on one industry, the IT industry, at the exclusion of others. What you're looking at is a major unwinding of the U.S. ability to attract and keep foreign talent. Now, as we go forward, as we, as we look at this, as we decide what to do, I will simply put this to you. Where do you stand on S-386? If you think these new changes and really the double crossing of Dick Durbin um, on this are bad, you should be calling 202-224-3121, 202-224-3121, and ask for your senator and say, please vote against unanimous consent on this bill if the Durbin amendments are not included. Don't agree with the Cotton amendments. These are bad amendments that make this a very bad bill. You know, the sad part about this is Mike Lee, you know, uh, he could get this passed in committee. I really believe he could get this passed in committee. Um, and uh, the Durban bill, the Durban Lee bill. But he's not going to get this passed in committee. Cotton doesn't have that. Cotton is like Bernie. Nobody really likes him. That's why nobody supports his bills. Um, and at the end of the day, if you want to stop this bill, you have to call. You have to call your congressman. Call Dick Durbin and tell him that you love him and that he did great work, but you need him to stay strong going forward because he's going to be getting a lot of hate mail once he comes out uh, against uh, this, these revisions to this bill. Call Senator Blackburn. Call Senator Rounds. All you got to do is call and ask. When, when, when that number answers, it's electronic. You say, Senator Durbin, and they'll pass you right to his office. You get a voicemail. Leave a voicemail. They count the messages. You probably won't get a live person, but leave the voicemails. You can also go online to their websites and send emails. You can also at them on Twitter and uh, put up support for uh, uh, Dick Durbin. And you say, I support at Senator Durbin. 
and you will, uh, your support will be greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening this week. I, I will just close with this one little tidbit. Um, my fa- one of my best, one of the best court cases that came out. Uh, you know, Trump has lost virtually all of the court cases um, uh, on a lot of his crazy policies. But my favorite came on Sunday when uh, uh, a federal court uh, found that uh, uh, at Homeland Ken, Ken Cuccinelli was illegally appointed to his position as uh, acting senior official in charge of acting deputy of whatever at USES and DHS. And therefore, anything issued by him was illegal. Uh, Principal among those were the asylum memos that basically told asylum officers to deny every asylum case. And, they, and the USCIS was forced on Friday night to send a memo out, an email out to all the asylum officers saying that memo is no longer in effect. Wow, that was a good way to end a Sunday. Until next week, this is your host Charles Cook here on the Immigration Hour. It's been great to be with you. Uh, if you have any comments or concerns, you can reach me on Twitter at ccook, C-K-U-C-K. Um, you can also email me at uh, ccook at immigration.net. Uh, follow us on Facebook uh, at Cook Baxter, uh, or you can follow me at C. Cook, but then you'll get pictures of my kids. You probably don't want that. Um, but at Cook Baxter on Facebook, and uh, look for our Facebook Live every Friday at uh, 2 p.m. Until next week, your host, Charles Cook, on the Immigration Now. And next week's show, by the way, broadcast live from Peru. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>